And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So I want to preach this message on the subject of biblical conversion. This is Paul's conversion and his baptism. But I want to preach on the subject of Biblical conversion. I have three points, three simple points. You have the old man. The old man, his name was Saul. And that's in verses 1 through 5. Then you have the new birth in verse 6. And then from verse 7 on down to 20, really, uh, from verse 7 on down to 20, you have the new man. So the old man, the new birth, and the new man. Biblical conversion. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of truth tonight. Your words are very pure. And your servants, we love them, Lord. And I pray that tonight you'd help us to get this message across, that you would have your way with it. And Lord, that you'd speak to us that you would move in our midst and uh, speak to each and every heart. And God, I pray that you'd help me tonight where the flesh is weak. Um, my spirit is willing. So Lord, I pray that you'd help me and uh, make it easy to preach tonight and bring the, bring the word, Lord, to our understanding and lighten our minds. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So here we have... This conversion story, uh, this is Saul's story. These are the actual facts of the event as it happened. But, you know, throughout Paul's ministry, he would go on relating this story. Every chance that he had, Paul would tell his conversion story. I mean, if he was writing to a church, uh, he would tell them about it. If he was standing before kings, uh, he would tell the kings about his conversion. Just every opportunity. You can imagine every time he went into a synagogue, you know, he would go into a new town. The first thing he would do was go to that Jewish synagogue. And you know that he would tell the story about how he was converted and what changed him because it was a dramatic conversion. Not every conversion is dramatic the way that this one is. You know, we've got to admit that. But I'll say this, that every conversion is a miracle. 
And it's all a big deal. It was a big deal the night that I got saved. It wasn't dramatic like the Apostle Paul. Same thing with the day that you got saved. But Paul's, (laughs) it was definitely a dramatic one. You say, why? Well, because back when his name was Saul, it says that he was breathing out threatenings. This follows the persecution that we learned about in Acts chapter 8, and it caused the disciples to spread out, and the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the disciples spread out. Philip went as far as Samaria, and this persecution that was happening in Jerusalem, Saul was right in the middle of it. He had his hands in it, and it says of him that he was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. You know what that means? He was murdering people. He was killing Christians, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went unto the high priest. He was a very zealous man, a very zealous Jew, and he desired of him, the high priest, letters to go to Damascus to the synagogues. I guess he'd cleaned everything out as far as he could go. He wanted to go even farther, that if he found any of this way, when you find Those words, the way, this way, that's the way that Christians referred to themselves in the early primitive church. Uh, They referred to themselves as the way or others would, would, would refer to them that way. So he says, if we find any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so he went on his journey to Damascus to go and to arrest Christians. And like I said, we learn a lot about Paul because he told his story so often. For example, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, we find that Paul told something about his conversion story to uh, the church in Galatia. And we find a lot of details here that when you put them all together, you really get the full picture of what kind of man this was. Um, and how the Lord was able to save him. And if God can save Saul, uh, this, this zealous Jew, really a Jewish inquisitor, if you're familiar with that term, we'll look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. But an inquisitor, the Spanish Inquisition of the Dark Ages, they were involved in bringing uh, these Christians who had defected from the state church and... Uh, were no longer baptizing their infants, and they were brought before inquisitors, and the inquisitors uh, did terrible things to them. Uh, much of this was designed by the Jesuit priests, and there were aw- it was an awful time in, in church history, and real blot uh, and stain on the reputation of state churches during that time. Not just Catholics, but the uh, Orthodox churches, the uh, Church of England, uh, Protestants, after you know the Reformation, of course, and after the Middle Ages, Protestants persecuted real Bible-believing Christians. So everybody did. But uh, the Inquisitor uh, would bring somebody in, and they would stand before a tribunal or a panel, and they would question them. And if they found them to be at fault, they would say, you must recant what you believe. And if you, they didn't recant, they would be uh, punished in, in severe ways. And But Paul was a Jewish inquisitor. So in verse 13, he said, For ye have heard, everybody heard about him, you've heard of my conversation in time past, so conversation being the manner of life, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God 
and wasted it. Waste, that's what he felt like. I was just wasting people. Persecuted the church of God. And then he says, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So he outdid his peers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and so on and called me, Paul says, by his grace. What we're reading in Acts chapter 9 is Paul being called by God's grace. We're here, uh, we're close to it, so might as well look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. This is uh, a man who is highly motivated, highly dedicated, and highly dangerous to believers. And the word was out, look out, look out if Saul comes into the synagogue, look out for this man. So in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 says here, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, he's talking about his story and who he was as the old man. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day, check, of the stock of Israel, check, of the tribe of Benjamin, check, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. <laughs> he said, I was the example. I was the epitome of what it meant to be a Hebrew. As touching the law, a Pharisee. That's like saying, I didn't just get a high school diploma. I didn't just stop at getting an associate's degree. I didn't stop with undergraduate work. I went on to graduate. Paul said, I became a doctor, so to speak. And uh, he was a PhD, so to speak, meaning Pharisee. He went as high as you could go. He probably graduated from the Jewish uh, uh, University in uh, Damascus. And he studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of that time in the Jewish religion. He had exceeded everyone's expectation of who he would become. Concerning zeal, he says, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law. This is amazing. Blameless. He says, I was blameless as far as the righteousness in the law. Now that was self-righteousness and it couldn't save him. But as far as the legalism, he was a legalist. Uh, Pharisee, that's what they were. But now when he says blameless, he doesn't mean sinless. That just means that when he sinned, he offered up a sacrifice like they were told to do in the law. But what things he says were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. That's when he was called by grace on the day that he was saved. He realized all of that was just loss. It was all dung, he says. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I love this verse. Verse 9, if you're ever dealing with somebody who believes that they can be saved by their own works righteousness, show them verse 9 and tell them about Paul's, sort of his, uh, his, uh, his accomplishments in religion and then show them verse 9. When he was truly saved, he realized this, that now I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So this is Paul, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as we're coming back to chapter 9, we might as well stop at Acts chapter 26. 
Acts chapter 26, and you really get the whole picture. Here he is telling his story before King Agrippa. He's making his defense. And in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, he is uh, explaining to old King Agrippa what had happened to him and the change that had come about in his life. And he says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, I verily thought with myself. That's trouble. That's, a, that's a, where you get into trouble, isn't it? When you start thinking with yourself. When you have a little conference with yourself and start trying to figure things out and reason with yourself. You know what the Bible says about that? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When we start thinking with ourselves, trying to figure things out, we'll always make a mess of it. And what we'll do, the Bible says, will end in death. And what he did, he started thinking with himself, and guess what happened? A lot of people died. And Paul almost died, lost in his sins. He said, I thought that I might do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he wanted to discredit the name of Jesus, and he wanted to kill Jesus' followers. He wanted to hurt them. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them. To blaspheme. The reason why he did that is because early Christians uh, came out of Judaism and they went into the synagogues because there you have a field uh, to evangelize of people who already know the Bible. So they've already got the law. They already understand sin, all of that stuff. They just haven't heard the gospel yet. And so it's easier to win those people to Christ. And many people were getting saved. Many of these Jews are converts to Judaism. And so he would go into the synagogues to stop this. He wanted to stamp it out. And he would punish them and compel them to blaspheme. I don't know exactly how he might have done this, but I imagine it would uh, amount to uh, getting people to deny their faith in Jesus and to admit that Jesus was not the Son of God, that he was just a man, something like that. And he said that he got many of them to do it. And he says, I was exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And then he says, I was heading to Damascus. And that's where he goes on to tell his story, that this all happened at midday. So back at Acts chapter 9, you put all those pieces together and you start to see what kind of man this was. And God chose him. You see back in Acts chapter 9? In verse 15, he says that he was a chosen vessel. So, brothers and sisters, that means that God was looking down from heaven and said, that's the one I want. Isn't that something? A murderer, a persecutor of his people. But God looked down at Saul and he said, that's a man that if you give him a job, he will take it all the way. (laughs) Yeah, really zealous. So God saw something in him, saw that zeal. I think, you know, because God chose him as a chosen vessel. And so, and then in verse uh, 3 then, here he goes, as he journeyed, he's he's on the road, and he came near 
Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him. So just imagine this, the Lord sort of arrests him on the road to Damascus, this great light shining, and he's knocked to the ground. The Bible doesn't say, but some people think he was riding a mule or a donkey, um, a horse possibly. Um, I was reading a little Christmas storybook with the kids and it, it, the two Christmas storybooks that we looked at, you know, uh, Joseph and Mary, they're riding the donkey, you know, and, and they're going to the manger and all of that. And uh, in these stories, they made a big deal out of this donkey character in each one of them. And then uh, one of them had like the, the donkey kept going, hee-haw. And I was like, you know what the donkey said, Lucas? I was like, the same thing he always says, hee-haw, you know. And we were making that sound. And so I thought... I'll watch a YouTube video, you know, because YouTube can be a good place to instruct yourself, to educate yourself. And so I said, let's go to YouTube and see what a, what a donkey sounds like. Most annoying sounding creatures I ever heard. I couldn't, I couldn't hardly take it. And I didn't realize really how bad it was. I thought, okay, so I, why they were riding that thing, I don't know. So I think Saul was riding a horse just based on that, okay? Just based on that biblical scholarship, I think he was riding a horse uh, much more. I've ridden horses. I've been around them. I like horses, but them donkeys. But uh, he's knocked off of this animal. He's knocked to the ground. And as he's laying on his back, he heard a voice saying unto him. And the others, they couldn't hear this voice. Uh, They could hear the voice, but they couldn't see anybody. And so he's laying on his back and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Number one, there's a great light. Number two, knocked you flat on your back. Number three, whoever's talking knows my name. So can you say that would get your attention? Amen. That would get my attention. And then when he hears this person speak, this person is saying, why are you persecuting me? And when that voice said that to him, it pricked Saul's conscience, because this was starting to get to Saul, the persecution of the Christians, watching the, the, uh, the true faith and, and the sincerity and uh, listening to their words as they witnessed to him as he was killing them. And it was starting to get to this man. You say, how do you get that? Well, in verse five, he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, okay, whom thou persecutest. We'll come back to that in just a second. But he says to Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And what the Lord was talking about was, Saul, you've been trying to go about doing this thing or doing that thing, and you're doing it ignorantly. You're doing it in the Jews' religion. You think what you're doing is right, but you know and I know your conscience is bothering you because you're persecuting the church, but it's more than that. You're persecuting me. And the pricks is referring to the conscience being pricked. It's really today. The modern thing is a cattle prod is what he was talking about. It's like a stick with a pointed end on it and and a little hook. And you poke the animals to get them to go where they need to go. And the Lord had been poking Saul to get him to where he wanted him to be and pricking his conscience. When's the last time when you were listening to a Bible sermon that your conscience felt pricked? 
That should be the experience of a believer whose heart is tender and open to the Lord. If it's been a while since you felt like your conscience has been pricked, it may be due to spiritual coldness, which that happens. It happens to all of us. We all go through it. Go through times of spiritual coldness where you come to church and you're like, I didn't get anything out of that. But how is it that your brother and your sister is walking out of church and saying, God really spoke to me about something. And somebody else is walking out and they said, that, that sermon, I, I thank you, that was good, you know, and, and they meant it, you know. And some people come up to the altar and they're under conviction. Somebody might even get saved, but you're just sitting there and you're like, I got nothing out of that. Well, I found this. I can get something about out of any kind of preaching, really. If it's Bible preaching, if they're really preaching the word, whether they're a quiet preacher, whether they're a loud preacher, whether they're kind of rough around the edges, whether they're really polite and gentleman and stately-like, and uh, I can get something out of all different kinds of preaching, even out of English preachers. English preachers are some of the driest, most boring preachers in the world, but there's some of them I really like to listen to, and Scottish preachers. But I found that if my heart is right with the Lord... And if I'm tender towards him, and if I'm like clay on the potter's wheel, that from time to time, he's going to prick me with the word of God and prick my conscience to get me to go in the right direction that he wants me to go. And when that stops happening, that's when we need to say, Lord, I know I don't have everything together. And that's when we need to come to church and say, Lord, what do you have in this message for me today? I know it's not all for me, but what do you have for me? And be ready to receive Be ready for him to deal with you like that. He says, it's hard for you, isn't it? It's getting hard for you to prick against the kick, the the kick against the pricks, isn't it, Saul? And Saul was trembling and astonished. And look what he said. Now Saul knows it's Jesus talking to him. Before, when he said, who art thou, Lord? He didn't know who it was. Isn't that something? There's a lot of people walking around. They don't know who the Lord is. They have no earthly idea who Jesus is. But this man, Saul, he knew who it was. Jesus introduced himself. And then after being introduced, Saul says, Lord. Now that's a difference. That's a conversion. We're seeing the end of the old man and and his conversion right here. This is when his new birth takes place. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't lose it. Saul hated Jesus. Do you understand that? He sought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. That means he wanted to discredit. He called Jesus a bastard with everybody else that was making fun of Jesus. He hated him. He hated his followers. Women, children, men. He persecuted them. Listen. Listen. Now he calls him... Lord, you try talking to somebody that hates this book, hates your Christianity, and talk to them about Jesus, and you see if they call him Lord. Ain't going to happen. You haven't been around very long if you think that's going to happen. Somebody who hates 
Jesus Christ. I was listening to a street preacher from the Free Church of Scotland, one of my favorite preachers right now. You can find his messages on Sermon Audio. His name is uh, Andrew Allen, Andrew R. Allen, Free Church of Scotland Continuing. And it is a good conservative church that broke away from the mainline church, which was completely apostate. They've broken away and they're sticking with the book. And he goes outdoors and he preaches all the time. And he was outdoors uh, November the, the 25th, preaching out in the open air. And he starts to preach about creation week and about how God created us. And, and uh, there's a lot of fear in the world. And, and you have the, the COP27 uh, meeting that happened down in, in Egypt with all these world leaders getting together and saying that we're going to destroy ourselves and, and we're done for, our environment's uh, cooked, and we're going to kill ourselves. There's nothing we can do. The year before, it had been in Glasgow, Scotland. And this year, uh, when it was COP26, now it's in uh, Egypt that had just taken place just recently. And he's trying to tell the people, you are not going to destroy this environment. Because the Bible promises that it will go on, and the one who will destroy it, he won't do it by water, but this time he'll do it by fire. <laughs> and you know what? Oh my. The reaction to his message, and he's a nice man, but the reaction to his message, you know what somebody did? They came up to him, and they said, you shut bleepity 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 bleep to a preacher. And this guy's wearing a collar. It's no doubt about it. He's a cleric he's a minister that's what this world thinks of your bible that's what this world thinks of jesus do you think that that man who cussed out that preacher in front of women and children shopping all around him shopping centers do you think he would say lord to jesus he wouldn't a converted man would paul was converted on the spot i'll show you Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15.8. Don't take my word for it. There's one scripture proof. He refers to Jesus as Lord, and he said, Lord, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? What else is that but conversion? My life is yours. What do you want me to do? 1 Corinthians 15.8. Paul tells you the day when he was born again. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. And reading, uh, let's go ahead and read verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, as Peter, then of the twelve. These are resurrection appearances. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but are, some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, that's the Lord's brother. Then, of all the apostles, you see, James is not one of the twelve, that's the Lord's actual half-brother. That was one of Mary's other children, uh, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Then Then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also. Paul said, he was seen of me, remember? Paul looked up. Saw him. He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul was born again, lying flat on his back on the road to Damascus. When? When he saw the Lord. When he saw him. 
And he said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even meet. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Popeye the sailor man is, I think that's where that comes from. So back in Acts chapter 9, Paul was born again when he saw Jesus. He was converted. And he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He was blinded for three days after his conversion. Okay? His new birth happened when he saw Jesus. He was blinded for three days after his conversion. He was blinded. He said, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And so, being blinded, Paul was taken then to be with Ananias, a Jewish Christian, and Ananias would baptize him. So we see Saul in his conversion, the old man and now converted to Christ, and we see his journey begin now as a new man. So the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man and Saul arose from the earth. They didn't see the Lord. You know what that tells us? This is kind of uh, an aside, but it's exciting to think about. The only one that saw him was the one that he picked, that he chose, and that he converted. And then when you read 1 Corinthians 15, when the Lord appeared as a resurrected, glorified Lord, why didn't he just appear to everybody? Why didn't he go to the temple and teach like he did before? He only appeared to believers. Isn't that interesting? And that tells us something. When the Lord comes back, the rapture of the church, why doesn't he just let the whole world see him? No, it's a secret resurrection. We're raptured to be with the Lord, and nobody sees it but the believers. And the trumpet sounds. Yep. Yep. It's a a fearful thing uh, to be on the wrong side of the Lord's mercy. And uh, so he, he sees them. The others don't, but they, they hear a voice that says, in verse 8, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So he's blinded now, going to Damascus, and was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. I think we'll stop there. I was hoping to get all the way down to verse 20, but it didn't happen. Here's a couple of interesting conversion stories. Saul was converted. Saul went about to be a great missionary to the Gentiles. He turned the world upside down, to use that expression, for Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said, right now, I just want you to go into the, into the city. Go to Damascus. The Lord didn't tell him, Paul, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of your life. And I'm going to change your name. You're going to be a great missionary and all this stuff. And, and this is all you have to do. And if you'll be faithful to me, I'll do this with you and do that with you. He just said, go here next. That's your next thing. And you know what he'll do with you tonight? If you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? My conversion might not be as dramatic as this, but what, what, what do you want me to do? You know what the Lord will tell you? He'll just tell you the next thing. And then when you do that, 
he'll tell you the next thing. And then he'll tell you the next thing and the next thing. And you just keep walking with the Lord as he, as he uh, leads you along. But no doubt, folks, he has something very important for all of us to do. Here's a couple of dramatic conversion stories just to finish this off with. Luis Palau, he was a famous evangelist. He, he told of a woman in Peru whose life was radically transformed by the power of Christ. Her name was Rosario. And she was a terrorist. She was a brute of a woman, he says, an expert in several martial arts. In her terrorist activities, she killed 12 policemen. And when Lewis was conducting a crusade in Lima, she learned about it. And uh, she was angry about the message that he was preaching. So she was making her way through the stadium to kill him. And inside of the stadium, she was thinking about, how do I get to him? And she's listening to the message as he preached, and he was preaching on hell, and she fell under conviction for her sins. Her conscience was being pricked. And uh, under conviction, she embraced Christ as her Savior, he wrote. And then 10 years later, he met this convert for the first time. He didn't even know about it at the time. And she had, by that time, assisted in planting five churches She was a very vibrant, active witness. She was a worker in the church. And she even founded an orphanage that houses, at that time, 1,000 children. An amazing, dramatic conversion. That's New Testament salvation. When people get saved in the Bible, they are changed big time. It's none of this just coming up, saying a little prayer, and going right back to your old life. That's not Bible conversion. People are changed in the Bible. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, The discovery of Christ um, is the key to happiness, one author says. There was a Japanese criminal called, now I'm going to butcher this, Takichi Ishii. I'm sure that was wrong. He was utterly uh, pitiless. He had no pity for people. He was brutal. He was callous. He murdered men, women, and children during his career of crime. He was captured and imprisoned. And then, get this, two Canadian ladies visited his prison. And um, he didn't want to talk to them. He scowled at them, you know, and his face, they said, looked like the face of a wild beast. And anyway, they left a copy of the Bible and they thought maybe somehow he'll read it, you know. And so they left a copy of the Bible, not thinking much would happen. He read it, and when he read the story of the crucifixion, it made him a changed man. And later, the jailer led him to be executed. He was going to the gallows to be hanged, but he had a smile on his face. And that man was dramatically changed. (laughs) So if God can save him, folks, God can save anybody. Don't give up on who you're praying for. You say, what can I do for the Lord? One of the greatest things we can do is pray. Think about this, and we'll close the message with a word of prayer. God needs prayer warriors tonight. Last night I took a journey to a land across the seas. I did not go by boat or plane. I traveled on my knees. I saw so many people there in deepest depths of sin. But Jesus told me that I should go, that there were souls to win. But I said, Jesus, I cannot go and work with such as these. He answered quickly, yes, you can, by traveling on your knees. 
He said, you pray, I'll meet the need. You call and I will hear. Be concerned for souls both far and near. And so I tried it, knelt in prayer, gave up some hours of ease. I felt the Lord right by my side while traveling on my knees. As I prayed and saw God's workers' strength renewed while laboring in the field, I said, yes, Lord, I have a job, my desire, thy will to please. I can go and heed your call by traveling on my knees. And the author to that is unknown. But we can all do that. We have missionaries we support. Let's go ahead and travel on our knees right now. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for the choir and the hard work that they're putting into trying to improve our Sunday morning services. I pray that you'd be pleased with that. And I pray, Lord, that you'd uh, help us, keep us from sickness and help us to sing for your glory. And Lord, I, I pray as a church, Lord, um, that we can, we can do something for you. And, and Lord, we say, what, what do you want us to do? What would you have us to do? Help us not to miss your will for our lives. And Lord, we pray right now for the lost. I know that's a prayer that you'll always answer. I know that's your will. And Lord, so I pray for the lost here in Racine, for them to be saved. And Lord, I know you can save anyone. If you could save Saul of Tarsus, you can save anyone. And so Lord, give us faith to believe, increase our faith in prayer. And we pray for the lost on these mission fields uh, that we support. We think of Brazil and we think of the Navajo Nation, and we think of uh, Reach Beyond, and, and those in the Philippines, and, and uh, those that we, that we uh, support, Lord. We pray for them, and God, we pray that you'd use them mightily. Use the tracks that go out from Fellowship Track League, and bless the children as they give this coming Sunday, and use that, and multiply uh, their, their gift to you, and multiply it for the salvation of souls, that you would be glorified, God and that we could be fruitful in our time here. We pray for all of our friends and our family that we've been around these holiday, uh, this holiday season, and we pray for them, Lord. Pray that you'd make their hearts tender, that you would prick their conscience, and that, Lord, you would draw um, our, our dear loved ones and friends to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.